0: did you feel coming back to the trail after lockdown that was the biggest difference was like the amount of daylight it's like so different because not only two months has passed but also we finished our daylight savings in new zealand so like uh we have less daylight but also the hours and time is quite different from how it was and um yeah, you can't really, depend on where you are, you can't really plan to have a super long day because if you're in a technical terrain or if you're like crossing rivers and stuff, you don't want to be hiking through the night.
1: Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan. And this is the podcast where I talk to experienced thru-hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a thru-hike. Today's guest is Tranquilo, known off-trail as Daniel Noguea. He started the Te Araroa on October 31st of 2019. After a two-month lockdown, he carried on, finally reaching Bluff on June 14th, in the middle of a New Zealand winter. In this episode, we talk about how he hiked Zero Waste, the miles he dedicated to plant trees, And if you want to get in on some of that planting action, you should give him a shout. How to zombie walk, and why you probably shouldn't. And a cleansing rain shower. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Tranquilo. So, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, my pleasure. Are you still in New Zealand?
0: Yes, I actually live here. I moved here in 2014. So, yeah,
1: right. But I thought that the whole point of getting on the TA was that you were packing up to leave New Zealand.
0: <laughs> no, I to leave North Island, so ah. I've been living in Auckland. Yeah, so I've been living in Auckland since I arrived in New Zealand for five years. Okay. And then I wanted to live in South Island, so I decided to just walk there, right?
1: <laughs> simple.
0: Yes. That's simple.
1: So, in deciding to want to move to the South Island, you said, as as you joked, I'll just walk there. Yes. But this is your first through hike, correct?
0: Correct. Yes, first okay. time through hike.
1: So... There had to be a dad a, more thought process to it than just, I'm going to walk to the South Island.
0: Yeah. Um, I've done a couple of tri- trips with like cycling touring. So actually okay. like my background and the thing that I used to do the most was just cycling and mountain biking. So, but a friend of mine, uh, he did ETA uh, two seasons before me and he sort of inspired me. And, yeah, I thought, well, I I wanted to go on a bigger adventure. I wanted to do something longer. Uh, I did two cycling trips, um, one here in South Island and one in Tasmania. And they were both like sort of three weeks. And on both of them, when I come back home, I didn't feel like I wanted to come back home. You know, that feeling that people get when they are like, Flying back and they're like, oh, I can't wait to have my to sleep on my bed and to have a shower and to yeah. get home. And I never had that feeling. I wanted to keep going. So I thought, well, the only re- the only way to to do something that satisfied me probably would be just doing something longer. So yeah, I decided I want to do something longer. And then I was in between either going on a longer cycling trip or just walking DTA. But I thought, well, the TA is here in New Zealand. It's a country that I love, that welcomed me so much. So why not just do it?
1: Do you feel like through walking the TA, you've seen so much more of New Zealand experience, so much more of New Zealand?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause, um, because of the nature of the TA and the way that's designed, you walk past so many spots that like as a tourist, as a visitor, or even as a local you never go, you know, like even Northland when you begin in the 90-mile um, Beach, and after you cross to the East Coast, and you go through those small villages, remote beaches, and so like beautiful, uh, stunning, like untouched places. And yeah, all the way to South Island as well, uh, because obviously it's a true hike. It's like it's not like a loop, right? So you yeah. get to cross places where. If you were just to go for a weekend hike or for a long five-day hike, you'd never go. Man. So yeah, definitely, you get to see way more.
1: And and you were doing it, or you dedicated your through hike to a couple of pretty large things, I guess.
0: Mm, yeah, the, the
1: trees and the zero waste.
0: Correct, yes. Um, so initially the idea was I wanted to, to connect my TA, my walk with something like either that helped uh, raise awareness for individual actions that we can take um, on a daily basis that can create impact in our world, especially regarding climate change and like plastic pollution. So the idea was for every kilometer that I walked, I would um, collect, like raise funds to plant one native tree uh, here in New Zealand. So I partnered with um, organizations, a a non-government, non-profit organization called Native Forest Restoration Trust. And what they do is pretty cool. It's um, they either they buy land from like old farmers um, that's just trying to sell pieces of land that are cheap and could potentially have like an environment um, value. So like either it's close to a native forest that's protected or could be a link between two forests. So they buy those lands and they restore, they plant, they replant native trees, which is what we need, right?
1: Yeah. Desperately.
0: Yeah. So that's what I did. So I, raised funds obviously i it was like i'm not the biggest um fan of like asking people for money so i didn't do as much as i thought i would uh it was definitely a big lesson for me to learning to know myself as well and um, but yeah i raised i think just uh, under two thousand dollars which will be enough to plant about i think Two hundred native trees, or maybe a little bit more, depending on the arrangements that we'll make with them, with the company, um, with the organization. So we're just about to schedule a date now, where yeah, we're gonna go and plant those trees. In a it's actually in a forest near the Waipoa forest here in Northland. I don't know if you heard, but the Waipoa forest is where the largest kauri tree in New Zealand is, uh, tanimahuta, which is like a two thousand five hundred years old tree. And, um, yeah, it's a pretty special place.
1: And so, this, this plot of land where you're going to plant your, your 200 plus trees is next to that area?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's on that area. Yeah, yeah. So, it's going to create like a link and expand the, like the forest, uh, area. Yeah.
1: Right. You're, you're, uh, you're adding to the, the forest basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Nice. Now, if I, remember correctly, in your post about it, you were talking about having people come out and do a tree planting party.
0: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what we, uh, that's what we're trying to uh, organize a date now. So I'm in conversations with them to try to just organize what's the most suitable date for everyone to come up. And let's see how many people will be keen to come because it's about, I think it's about like two or four hours drive from Auckland. And uh, so I've got a couple of friends here that are interested. And some of the people that donated as well, they mentioned they would be interested. So that would be cool. Hopefully some other TA hikers that I met.
1: Well, and you also have some just general through hikers down there um, who've done like the AT and PCT and some of those other, some of the U.S. through hikes as well.
0: Mm, Yeah, yeah. That,
1: That probably wouldn't mind getting in on the action I would expect.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, some of them, they did mention to me that if they're around, they'll be keen to join. So that would be really cool. Yeah, and then the zero-waste part actually came quite last minute. Um, It was more like a learning process for me because I wasn't living a fully like zero-waste lifestyle before. Um, Obviously, I don't like use plastic bags for supermarket and the basic stuff like trying to like not using reusable coffee cups and those sort of things. But... Um, definitely not as like fully zero waste as um, I know it can be possible. But just a few weeks before starting Detroit, a friend of mine suggested me why don't try to do the, the walk on zero waste, and I thought that would be cool. So I did a bit of research on that, um, and what I did was I bought some reusable Ziploc bags, um, like not this, not the, like the like the soft quality ones but like some it's almost like a silicone bag so they're quite resistant which i managed to use for the whole trail and wow. instead of yeah and like i didn't use a single cereal bar on the trail i didn't buy a single pack of noodles because you know they, those are all single use plastics so all my food or most of my food i would buy um on places where you can buy in bulk so you can just go and fuel your own containers your own um, bags so, yeah, that was quite a uh, learning for me to see, like, where are the gaps uh, if we want to reduce our waste and reduce our um, use of plastic, especially single-use plastic? Wh- where are the gaps? How we can make it more viable for people? And, yeah, it was definitely... It added a bit of the challenge for the trade. <laughs> of, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Could you... F- I mean, obviously, you did because you successfully hiked it. Sorry, spoiler mm-hmm. alert. But... How did you find the places that were selling things in bulk? Because that's that's not just anywhere.
0: No. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, the first thing is most of the big chain supermarket chains in New Zealand they do have a section where you can fill up your own bags and containers. Okay. So, like the big uh, packing safe, countdown, you want especially the ones in the bigger, reasonably sized towns. They will have a session where you can fill up. So, like. Lentils, couscous, uh, oats, um, even like trail mix or what they call like nuts and um, all those sort of things. You can use your own containers or your own like bags if you have them. Um, But then what also helped me a lot, um, there's a project here in New Zealand, which I do recommend people to check out. It's called The Rubbish Trip. So those are two guys that now became friends of mine, uh, Leah and Hannah. And they did the whole, like a website with what they call a zero waste shopping guide. And oh, they nice. list every, yeah. So they list like every single zero waste shop or shops that sell foods uh, in bulk or like zero waste f- free of plastic in New Zealand. So you can just select which town you are and they will have a list of places you can go. And even like information, are oh, they are more expensive. Those ones are cheaper and stuff like that. So that was really helpful. Um it definitely became a challenge when I was walking past and I had to resupply in smaller towns. Um, like, I don't know if you're familiar with New Zealand, but in smaller towns sometimes you don't have one of the bigger supermarkets. You might have just like what we call here a four square, which is like just a really basic, um, um, like grocery store and, um, they don't have, um, the options to bulk food. So I would always try to go for foods that are packaged in, let's say, paper or there are, uh, we got now have the something that we call here like fruit balls, which is like some sort of protein balls. It's pretty much like a cereal bar, but in the form of a ball. And uh, some companies they sell on a recycled um, plastic container. So, and yeah, just buy fruits and veggies as much as I could.
1: I know that you couldn't, or I would assume, as you just said, you couldn't always have access to the stores that could allow you to do the zero waste thing. But did trying to stay zero waste affect how and when and your planning overall in terms of when you were going to come off of trails so that you could primarily resupply in the larger, uh, the larger towns mm. with the larger supermarkets?
0: A little bit, not so much. Like I, because the zero waste came quite late on my planning. The like I didn't do the hike with the goal. I mean, I did have the goal of being fully zero waste, but wasn't something that was always fully on top of my mind. But I did have. So, for example, I knew when I got to Artus Pass, I decided to go to Christchurch, which is completely off trail. Most hikers don't go through Christchurch. Um, I mean, some do, but it's, what, 150 Ks off the trail. Um, but it's the largest city in New Zealand. And I knew it was going to be the last opportunity to go to a bigger-ish town to buy more food. Um, because after the Spas you just keep going, like, to a smaller town. So I went to Croatia and bought, like, food for, I think, like three weeks. And then I shipped some food to some uh, smaller towns. I left food with a friend of mine that was going to join me uh, for another section later on so I did a bit of that just to you know get me to some parts of the trail but yeah there was there were some sections where I knew I couldn't buy anything and I didn't plan ahead I didn't have the like the time to plan ahead so yeah I end up not going fully zero waste there was, um towns that I had to get um, stuff in plastic unfortunately but I think it was pretty good. Like I still managed to not buy cereal bars, which for me is like the worst because they're like such a small piece of food in like single-use plastic, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and noodles as well. I didn't buy any noodles and
1: yeah. So what were you dining on? Uh, I started with the
0: classic old couscous <laughs> and adding some variations, like some dried peas, adding some like just things to get it a bit more flavor. And then later on, um, I started buying that ozo pasta, which is like the smaller version of pasta that you can get. It's like a tiny little grain. It looks like a rice. And um, so those were the ozo pastas, probably, what, 60 70% of my dinners on the trail. And I would add either some tomato paste with um, some soy protein, TVP, texture, vegetable protein, uh, because I'm also vegan. So and then some soy protein or i would add some yeah some dried peas and yes sometimes i'd care mushrooms depends on yeah how long the sections were
1: so you were spicing it up yeah
0: yeah i can by the end of it i had like six containers of different spices oh yeah and then sorry later on i also started doing um a red lentils curry with some pota- mashed potatoes, and those were yum. And <laughs> really good, yeah.
1: You should put your recipe out.
0: Yeah, I should, right? I will, I will.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when you got to the north tip of of New Zealand, Cape Reina, yeah. and, and you turn south and you start walking, how... Yeah. How long did it take to fully sink in of like what you were, what you were aiming to accomplish here?
0: Mm, that's a really good question. I don't know. I think I always, um, I always took the trail on a really like daily or at least like weekly base. Because um, I remember like people asking me, "So when are you planning to arrive in Bluff? When are you planning to finish?" And I'm like, "Man, I have no idea. I just want to get through this section." Um uh, but I think by the by the third or fourth day, like when we were finishing um in Mile Beach and arrived in Ahipara and like we kind of had a trail family of about ten people that started on the same day. And um that's when things started to get more real. Like I arrived there <laughs> and there's an, it is a town but there's nothing waiting for you, you just buy food and keep going. And I'm like, Okay, so this is a true hike, right? You just that's what I'm gonna be doing for the next months. Um, so I think it was mostly yeah, the arrival in Aripara and realizing that, yeah, that's it. Like,
1: this is your it's life. It's not
0: like, yeah, that's not like I'm arriving back here in a town and my car is here or my friends are here or that's home. No, it's just keep going.
1: And <laughs> looking through your Instagram, you, for yeah. 90 Mile Beach, you were saying that it was, uh, it keeps the legs honest.
0: Yeah. Um, You'll be surprised to know how tiring it is to walk on a beach, like because the trail when you start the first day is kind of easy. Uh if you are doing if you're staying on the first camp, which is Twilight Beach. Uh Twilight Camp, it's like I think it's 15k or 17k, so it's not very far. But then the next three days, they are all long days, like twenty one day is twenty-eight Ks, and the other two is around thirty K day. And yeah, it's all on the beach. And, like, just the monotonous aspect of walking, like, the same terrain for the whole day just makes your legs, like, so tired. So, it's not like, oh, it's just a walk in the beach. You can relax. You can't choose. Not really. nice. <laughs> and, um, yeah, obviously, everyone is with heavy packs. So, I mean, at least most people are carrying unnecessary stuff. And, you know, it depends on how much train you did before. But, yeah, it's not like a chill really choose stuff you
1: know when you were saying that the like the first day was twenty something kilometers and the second day was thirty was that just because of where the camps or shelters were?
0: yeah so the night mile okay. yeah exactly yeah so night mile beach um you pretty much have not yeah you don't have much, many options of accommodation so we have this first camp um, at this twilight beach. Which is about 16k. So if you start really early, and I do know some hikers that skip the first um, camp and go straight to the second one, but yeah, you don't have much in between. It's just like you have the beach and you have some like sort of. Uh, it's either private property or it's just place where you can't camp. So you have to kind of plan your hike. And that's what the recommendations of the trail notes also say. You have to plan your hike to stay on those places, on those campsites, um, to not like have to illegal camp somewhere.
1: And it, it sounds like from everybody that I've talked to about the TA, it sounds like that's kind of the, the, the dilemma is you have the shelters and you have places that you can camp. But there is a lot of private property around the trail.
0: Yes, correct. Yes. Especially in the North Island. I think you do get way more freedom in the South Island where you hiking to like um, conservation lands or national parks, but in the North Island, yeah, you are either hiking like in between forests or like reserves that are quite small. And New Zealand and um, the Department of Conservation here, doc, they do take a very conservative approach in terms of freedom camping. Uh, You know, which is 48 hikers might not be a great thing, but for the environment and like for several reasons they prefer. So like some of the forests that we walked through in Northland, you you can't just camp anywhere. Uh, They had specific campsites where you had to camp. But yeah, it does get more like after Nightmare Beach, yeah, you do have more options of um, like you can either do like a short day and camp on a place or you can do a longer day and there will be another camp so it's not like every day everyone stays in the same place but yeah it's from what i because i guess from uh, from the coming from america like some friends that i know that did the pct and um the at they do they did explain to me how different it is uh, in pct where you can camp pretty much anywhere and Yeah, so I think the logistics and the routine of the trade is quite different um, here in New Zealand.
1: In your pack or with your pack, what what was the first thing or the first couple of things that you realized quickly or, or not you didn't need or you would maybe need to swap out for something different?
0: Trying to remember what did I did from the beginning. I think like I started with, um, I was carrying like a beanie and some gloves in the beginning. And I realized that we were walking through summer and I probably would not need those until, <laughs> um, South Island. So those I did, I stopped carrying the in Arrepara. I can't really remember anything else. Um, maybe some extra layers. Um, I think I had the extra fleece that I also wasn't yeah, I realized I wasn't going to need. And uh, so yeah, mostly clothes. Oh, and also I was carrying a camera tripod um for my camera. Which was super bulky and heavy. One of those gorilla I think it's gorilla yeah. tripods or something like that. Yeah. And I didn't use for the whole um my bit, so I'm. Eh, I'll just if I need to do like some uh, star shooting, um, I'll just use something, put the camera on the ground, and you'll be fine. And yeah, so th- that that was, I think, the heaviest thing I did. But I think I was, yeah.
1: Did you find that, like, for star photography and and some of your other photography, if you needed something stable, you could always find something or Jerry rig something so that you just you yeah. didn't have to worry about it.
0: Yeah, it does take more time, you know, especially if you're out in the cold. It's a cold evening, and you want to get that shot quickly. And you're like, you're trying to like arrange, either like your camera bag, your um, I don't know, some rocks on the ground, or something to keep the camera stable. It does take some time, but so yeah, not ideal, but always uh, managed to um, do what I wanted to do uh, with the camera, either if it was successful or not.
1: But. <laughs> Yeah not, yeah, not every shot is going to be the perfect success. No. To put things into perspective overall, for, for people who are listening to this, you started the trail when?
0: Oh, yeah, 31st of October. Of 2019. 2019,
1: yes. And you finished the trail.
0: Trail, was it, well, three weeks ago, uh, exactly, which was let me see because i actually forgot the date i think was the i think it was the 14th of june yeah that's about right 14th of june but obviously in between there was um two months of lockdown where i had to stop the trail and i also took my time you know um most cities i stopped for a bit and just hang out with friends so i stopped for a week here in auckland stayed with friends And then I stopped in Hamilton to stay with a friend as well for three days. I stayed in Wellington, which is a super cool city, for a week. Uh, I was waiting for a new sleeping bag in my shoes to arrive. And then when I went off trade to Christchurch, I also stayed for a week. Yeah, so I did take my time. Most people were finished before the lockdown, before Corona um, in New Zealand.
1: Did you end up hiking with people all the way through or did you because of the way that your pace was working end up kind of hiking solo and then you may meet people along the way but you weren't necessarily hiking with them specifically
0: yeah well it's it's quite funny how the the true hike kind of like things just happen because i yeah we started in cape ringa and i remember arriving at the first camp and there were 10 of us And we just became a good family. Uh, We hiked together. uh, Pretty much everyone together, sort of, like one or two maybe dropped out. But we hiked together until Auckland. Uh, So that was about 500 kilometers, um, almost a month, like three weeks we were together. And when I say together, obviously it's like, stay on the same places in the evening and kind of catch up in during the day. But everyone does the, your own time. Some people start earlier. Some people start later. I was most of the times I was the late one. I was always the latest to leave the camp. You know, I'm, I don't rush in the mornings. That's something I got uh, famous for. Sometimes yeah, I had a friend, a true friend, um, Adam Papa. Uh, he's uh, here from New Zealand as well. And um, we'll always joke, um, uh, trying to break the record of the latest time we leave the camp. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, you meet up with people during the day and then you get um, to the camp in the evening and everyone has dinner together and share some conversations. So, and then from Auckland, our big family kind of split up, um, but we would, I would meet quite a few of them later on. So, like, we hiked a few days uh, the Tongariro Crossing. I was with another three of them. And then we spent years together, I think five of us from the same family we spent together. And then later in South Ireland, I also met um, some others uh, of this same group that started together. And which was really cool when I came back from lockdown from, um, yeah, when we came back uh, to Detroit after lockdown, I met Beatrice, which is a hiker that also were part of that family. And we finished together with another hiker, Claire. So I did finish with someone that was part of that initial family. Even though we didn't hike most of the South Island together, we managed to meet like, and it wasn't like something that we planned. It just kind of happened. Um, Yeah. And obviously you meet people for, normally you hike with some people like for the same section for a let's say five, six days. And then either someone take a rest day and some other people don't. So you split up and then you meet again. Yeah. It's quite, different from what i expected when i planned it i thought it was going to be a very like solitude um like solo experience like lonely and just being mostly alone all the time and that was completely different from what i expected which for me was a lesson in some ways as well like we humans are naturally a social um, like animal or whatever you call we are social we can't Like, when we try to be lonely, we are actually kind of fighting a little bit against our own nature, I think. Uh, I remember that on the first camp because I arrived in Twilight Beach. I'm like, really excited to pitch my tent and be by myself, but like, (laughs) <laughs> something that was that, yeah, something that pulls us together, you know, is so when we try to fight against that, like I remember sitting down and watching sunset, but like really and listening to people talking on the, um, they were like in this communal area and having dinner you know, together. And I was listening to that. And I was like, there's something that's like inviting me to go there and chat with these other people, you know. So if I'm staying here, that means I'm fighting against that. So why is that? That was quite interesting to learn as well. And obviously, I gave up the, lonely experience on the second day I was like with people and yeah that's that was um, pretty cool
1: you probably because of the way you hiked it you probably did have your fair share of I'll say lonelier nights or days but
0: Mm, yeah a little bit I think I had maybe like three or four nights where I was in a camp on a hut by myself and, yeah, many days and nights where there were other people, but I didn't, like, get super involved. Um, I was just like, yeah, you might say, hey, how's it going, blah, 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 but you're not going to get, like, super involved in a, a group or, you know, become friends. So, yeah, there were there was times where I was kind of mostly by myself. Uh, there was one specific session on the Arthas Pass area where, I got to this place um, after finishing the Nelson Lake section, and um, we were going to start the section that uh, goes that goes all the way to Gold Pass Hut, and um, there was a storm coming. So most hikers decided to stay to wait for the storm because are quite a few rivers you have to cross. So I decided to go uh, and stay in the first hut um, waiting for the storm. So the first night I arrived at the hut, there were people there. Um, But then I stayed one rest day, and there there was maybe just only three hikers going noble, going the opposite direction, northbound. And then next day, the rain, the storm actually didn't come. It was just a mild uh, rain. So I kept going, and then I had the hut for myself for, I think, two nights. Um, But then some other people came, and then we became friends. And, yeah, there was another family for me.
1: (laughs) How did you keep in touch with people like you, you meet on the trail, you talk, you, you know, be, become friends or whatever, but you're not necessarily going to hike with them, but you're kind of keeping in contact with them. How were you doing that on the trail?
0: Like the people that you really want to keep contact with, you'd either get their phone numbers or Facebook uh, because of the way that the trail, the TA um, route is you're always close to mobile coverage and that's something else that I didn't expect. I thought I would be way off coverage way more than we actually are. Um, New Zealand phone coverage is actually pretty good, I think. So like you would finish a section together and there'll be coverage and you just add someone or either WhatsApp or Facebook or message and then sort of keep contact. Um, yeah, I think that's mostly it. One thing that's cool about New Zealand, I guess that might be similar to other hikes as well, when you stay in the huts, and that's mostly for South Island, because in the South Island, you're pretty much going to stay most of the time in huts, or you have huts all the time. And some people choose to not stay on the just Camp, but you're at least going to walk past. And the huts have a visitor book. Um, so the visitor's book is kind of becomes like when you get to a hut, the first thing everyone does is open the HUT book to see where people are because everyone signs. It's actually like a safety thing. You register your name and you put your trip intentions so if something goes wrong, uh, the search and rescue team can come and say, okay, this guy left here this time, so uh, he might be, I don't know, Like that's how they try to track down people. So it's more like a safety, but for the TA, it actually becomes a way to communication because people would leave messages on the HUT book saying, hey, we wait for you in this town or... Uh, hey, hope you catch up, please walk fast or stuff like that. Or you can leave message for people that are behind. So that's also a way to know, like I remember being in the Richmond Ranges, and um, I remember seeing a friend and she was like two days ahead of me and I'm like, okay, if I walk fast, I think, and I wanted to walk fast as well. Uh, We were in the group that were like all fast uh, walkers. So we just kept pushing long days and I ended up catching up with her on the last day. Uh, which was really cool. Um, so you kind of know where people are, um, at least the people that are ahead of you. You know, yeah. Old school, <laughs>
1: <laughs> paper and pen.
0: Yes, yes.
1: In in talking about walking fast, you so your last day on trail was a long, long, long day.
0: It was, yeah.
1: Why did you choose to do it that way? And Mm. kind of tell the listeners what exactly it was that you did.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So um, I had longer days than that on the trail before.
1: Um, Oh, really?
0: Yeah. But on the, so let's talk about the end of the trail. I remember like we got to the, we got to the Takachimu forest after the lock, after Tiano. So I, uh, I stopped the trail in Wanaka. And uh, That's when the lockdown happened. So I went to Khrushchev, spent lockdown in a friend's place in Khrushchev, came back to the trail. The weather was amazing. So I did Motatapu track, which is between Wanaka and Queenstown. It was really cold, obviously. And then did the Greenstone Capos track, got to Tiano, and then met with these two friends that I told you, Beatrice and um, Claire. And we were, so by then I thought, well, it would be good cool to finish the hike together. So we did the Takachimo forest, which is quite nice, like forest, but we got snowed. Um, hmm. I think on the second night, there was a lot of snow falling. Uh, remember, we opened the door um, in the hut in the morning. Yeah, lots of, lots of, lots of snow. So I will post some of my stories for the ones listening, I'll, I'll do some stories about those days now because I actually haven't posted much about the end of the trail. Um, and then we got to, there was one hut that we had this conversation about, okay, there was one day that they decided they wanted to take a rest day and I wanted to keep going. But I decided to stay with them and then I thought, look, okay, I'll stay, we we'll stay together, but I want to propose that we do a last big challenge and then so they were a bit like what are you talking about so initially my idea was to either do the last 100 case uh, in one go Uh, so like get to the place where there's a 100 case left sleep there and once you wake up I would just walk until the end no stop so that was the first option or do 24 hours walk and then I told them and they were like no this is too much so we kind of talk about some options, and then we came to this agreement. Okay, let's do the last day from Riverton, which is one town. So normally, which would be two days from Riverton, people walk to Invercagio, that's like a 30K day, and then sleeping in Invercagio, and then from Invercagio, you walk to Bluff, which is another, I think, 28 or 30, 32K, something like that. And I remember they asked me, but why do you want to have this challenge? Why do you want to do this? And I told them that, like... I felt like I didn't have, like, much suffering on the train. (laughs) Uh, Like, and I've seen people talking about, like, how much they suffer and, like, struggle. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just enjoyed it so much. Even the times where, like, yeah, it was hard and my body would be tired. But I, I kind of enjoyed it. So I felt like I wanted to do something that would, like, really make me ask, why the hell am I doing this? This is, like, you know... Uh, kind of go through that struggling suffering process a little bit deeper. Um, So, yeah, I think that's, and also I thought, well, if we just do a normal day to finish in bluff, yeah, it would be a normal finish and we'll be like super excited to finish the trail. But if we do like a long challenge and especially for the girls, they haven't done that long day for them would going to be the biggest challenge uh, on the trail for them. And for me, it was well coming back from lockdown. I wasn't as fit as I was before. We would have that sense of like, not only finish the trip, but like, can we do this long day, you know? So, uh, yeah, I think those were, yeah, that's the, those were the reasons. Um, and it was really cool. So yeah, as we started in Riverton at, um, all right, let's go in a bit more depth. So we were in Riverton, we were staying a friend's place and a friend of a friend's place and i did some we sit down and i say look those many kilometers we have to do a bit of maths and realize um and try to figure out how can we get to bluff just before dark so i did like i calculated um that we were going to do about 5k an hour pace and and just like did the maths around the hours and that got me To the point that we have to start the trail. We have to start walking at 2 a.m. To get to bluff before um, sunset, before dark. So they were like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. So, yeah, we woke up. We didn't have much sleep. Um, We woke up about 1, had a quick breakfast, got dressed and started walking at 2 a.m coincidence or not it was the coldest day of the year in the southland region where we were so the the from riverton to intercargo you walk in a long beach uh, and it's a long stretch of beach which is like kind of night my beach memories which was cool so we walked that through the night and it was beautiful beautiful night crispy air like the stars were incredible we saw like many shooting stars uh, But really, really cold. I was wearing all my layers. um, Like my phone was telling me that was minus two, sometimes minus four. My water bottle outside my pack frozen. Uh, So I have (laughs) got some photos of that on my Instagram. Uh, I remember trying to like undo my shoelaces. They were completely frozen. Um, Yeah, you could feel the sand on the beach was sort of like not fully frozen, but you could feel like it was a bit crispy frozen. Which is pretty crazy. Yeah, we got to Invercargill just by sunrise. Everything frozen, like the grass, and yeah, completely like full frosty and cold, really cold. And then we and the girls were like, okay, we need to have a treat. So we went for it. we went to a cafe. I think it's the only cafe that was open uh, at that time. I think it was like 7:30, 8, 8 a.m. on a Sunday in Invercargill. The cafe was like two and a half k's out of the trail, and the girls and I was like, "No way, we're gonna walk an <laughs> like extra five k today uh, to, you know, to have breakfast." So we took a taxi. Where I called a taxi company and we st- like we took a taxi, went to the cafe, had a big breakfast, uh, lots of coffee, and then took a taxi back to the same point. And then just kept walking. Um, and then another two friends that were one day ahead of us, because we were doing like a double day, we catch up with two other friends that were uh, one day ahead of us. And then we walked all the way to Bluff. And yeah, we got to Bluff literally just by sunset. Uh, and that was 63 Ks um, since the beginning. So it was a 63 K day. And I think it took us 20 hours or something like that. Yeah.
1: So your math was spot on. Yeah, pretty
0: much. I mean, obviously, we tried to keep like the whole day. We tried to keep like, like I was telling, oh, we have to be at this point at two o'clock. We have to be at this point at four o'clock. So we kept like trying to keep track of where we were and like managing our rest time as well to not miss. But yeah, we we arrived in Bluff and the signpost, and it was a dark. So we had to come back next day and um, to take like proper photos of the signpost with like daylight. <laughs> Which is funny.
1: What, what time was like dusk dark at that point?
0: Oh, pretty early. We were I think we were just like like a week off the shortest day of the year in New Zealand. Um, so like sun would rise about 8 830. Um, so it starts getting a bit of light 7:30, 7:45 a.m. So by eight thirty you start getting proper sunlight, and then five p.m. it's when like sun sets. Um, by five thirty it's dark, which is very different from summertime when most TA hikers do it, or, or when I was doing because you get like eighteen hours of sunlight in summer, or even more, um, which is great.
1: Yeah, it is a different way of hiking when you have to hike in the dark versus with the sunlight.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that was something that I did feel like. Uh, like people were asking me what was the most, like, how did you feel coming back to the trail after lockdown? And that was the biggest difference was like the amount of daylight was like so different because not only two months has passed, but also we finished our daylight savings here in New Zealand. So like, uh, we have less daylight, but also the hours and the time is quite different from how it was. And, um, yeah, you can't really depend on where you are. You can't really plan to have a super long day because if you're in a technical terrain or if you're like crossing rivers and stuff, you don't want to be hiking to the night. So yeah, it's not like about how fit and how long you can walk, but also like you have to take into consideration that yeah, it's gonna get dark.
1: And the further south you're hiking, the earlier it's gonna get dark.
0: Exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Which it's surprisingly you can' actually feel the difference. it's um it's crazy.
1: Could you feel it the difference day to day or
0: week to week? I would say day to day, but um yeah, from section to section, yeah, because I remember in the Mototapo track,, you know, which was the first section I did after lockdown. Uh, yeah, the mornings were like still like I think I remember like before seven am. We, you'd start to have a little bit of light, not really like sunlight, but you can start feeling like that, um, dusk kind of light. And, but once I was further south, so like on the Takachimu forest, yeah, absolutely nothing. Like it's 7.30 and it's still like pitch black. Um, <laughs> crazy. Yeah which means also more sleep, which was like amazing. (laughs) There were nights where I slept for 12 hours because it's like you have dinner at 6 p.m. You want to like cook dinner before, I don't know, like you cook dinner with your head torch and it's 6 p.m. and then 7 p.m. you're like, okay, I'm going to go to my sleeping bag. It's freezing cold and that's it. Like you can maybe read for an hour, but maximum at 8pm you'll be sleeping and then next morning, doesn't really matter what What are going to do, wake up at 5 and it's going to be like fully dark and freezing so most days I'll sleep like from 8 or 9 maximum to like 7, 9 or oh, 7, 8am um, after the lockdown obviously yeah.
1: Did you do much hike, night hiking overall? A uh, few
0: days yes um so my longest day on the trail was from Lake Tekapu to Lake Ohau. That was an 82 kilometers day. Um, so I started in Tekapo at 9 p.m. And, and then I hiked through the night. Uh, I arrived in Lake Pukaki about 6 a.m., uh and then had a quick like 15 minutes power nap because I was literally like zombie walking. I started like, okay, can I walk with my eyes closed? Cause I'm too tired. So I started <laughs> trying and then I said, No, this is stupid. Just stop. So I <laughs> I talked to my and I was by myself. So I stopped, had a quick nap, woke up, uh, and then walked to Twizel, had a breakfast in Twizel or Twizzle, and then walked to how but yeah, I walked the whole night. And it was amazing. Um, the stars were just, like, incredible. Because Tekapo is known for being, like, a, it's kind of like, a, I don't know what they call but it, it's like a night sky sanctuary. So uh, it's probably the best, um, like, stargazing place in New Zealand. It's around Tekapo. So, yeah, that was really cool.
1: So I could see you wanting to get the distance. Why choose to literally walk all night versus do kind of what you did at the end where you work wake at you know 2 a.m or 3 a.m or whatever and, and
0: hike. Uh, yeah so that was more around the planning um i thought that if i started the first bit to the night at least i would get most of the distance done and when it's daylight it's kind of easier to be awakened awake so like because I knew it was going to take me at least 20 hours. So if I start in the morning or even like early, let's say, I don't know, 2, 3 a.m., I'll still not be finished before dark on you know, the next day. So I thought, well, I better get done the dark part before uh, when I still have a lot of energy and like haven't hiked. So I had a, a rest day before that day. And then so which and then, yeah, in the morning I was kind of fresh, you know, legs are tired and then we a bit sleepy. But you had the sunlight to keep you awake and. Yeah, that's just how, because otherwise, yeah, I'll just be walking the last part of the trail, I'll be in the dark.
1: Now, was this was this a challenge for yourself, or was this, I you needed to get somewhere?
0: No, just a challenge. Um, <laughs> again, it was more like, you know, I have that thing of like, if you don't test your limits, and you should, like, if I don't try to like see okay can i do this like it's more questioning myself can i actually do this and if i can how am i gonna feel like what is it like to be in that position of like completely exhaustion you know so and also like it's not only like i did that it's not like um so this section this particular session between techapo and twizio and then oh how it's quite popular. A lot of people do it either long days or they walk to the night or also there's option to hire a mountain bike. And um, a lot of day the hikers, they'll go, they cycle from Tecapo Chohau, which is a quite nice ride. Um, it's mostly flat or like, I would say like 95% flat. Um, so, it's not like a lot of day the hikers, they do the same challenge or similar challenge uh, in this section because it's easy walking, um, it's flat, um, safe, there's no like river crossings or anything. So, and yeah, I'm like, man, I haven't done like a bigger challenge like this yet, so why not?
1: So, so other than accomplishing your challenge, what, what did you learn about yourself in this, in this, uh, grand challenge
0: um, What in this challenge specifically i definitely that like the mind controls the body uh, much more than the body controls the mind you know a lot of the times i agree with that thing that we say all the time which is like listen to your body and yes i'm fully of that but sometimes you actually have to like it's not just like a one-way conversation of like your body tells you whatever and then you just listen, okay, I have to rest. It's also like a two-way conversation of you saying, okay, you're telling me that you're tired, but I think you can do a little bit more, you know? So I learned to kind of talk to my body back and say, no, I think you can go a little bit further. Uh, now, where is that line where you cross and you get injury or it's like a bad place to go? I don't know. Um... It's not a line that you want to find out, but yeah, I just learned that you can definitely tell your body to like keep going a little bit further. Yeah, like a two-way conversation, if you know what I mean. It makes
1: sense. You you can go further, do more than you give yourself credit for or think you can.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, because I some of the sections I was uh, trying to run a little bit as well when I had a lighter pack. So not really run, but like jog. And this day specifically, uh, the 82K day, I run quite a bit. And yeah, I remember the last 10Ks. I was like, man, those 10Ks, if I just walk, it's going to be so painful. So I decided to run the last 10Ks when I was already like 7K home. And uh, I was just jogging and I thought, well, and I practice a bit of mindfulness and meditation as well. So what I did, I was like timing uh, my breaths with my steps and just like fully focused on that and like by the and i started trying to count my breaths so like from one to a hundred from a hundred to zero and surprisingly like the time just flew by like when i saw i was like 5k down and i'm like okay i just have to do that again and um yeah so it was quite cool to like drive deep into your mind and like it's amazing because I was listening um, most of this day, like when you get tired, I just either put some music or put some podcasts, but there was a point on this day that I couldn't pay attention to anything. I couldn't focus on music. I couldn't focus on podcasts or anything. So I just shut down everything. Okay, I just need to focus on my legs, on my steps, on my breath. And um, yeah, it's pretty cool to get to that like deep um, place in your mind and your body.
1: I was noticing on your... Instagram feed, there's a lot of mention, or you make a lot of mention to the heart.
0: Mm, To
1: being present, to, you know, staying focused on why you're doing it. Um, Bring your heart to your shoes, to the shoes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's like, for whatever reason people are doing the trail, for whatever reason I'm doing the trail, like, uh, the heart and like the passion and the belief for, um, in those reasons, they will come in your heart. They'll come for your like being fully present in the moment and breathing and paying attention to like who you really are, you know? Because if you really start with like some external reasons or for something that's not really new, you fall apart, you know? Uh, things will fall off. But if you really pay attention to the reasons that you are doing the trail and coming from your heart, I think in the struggle times, in the hard times, you can always come back to yourself, sit down, like pay attention to your breath, to your heart and say, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is me and I can do this. And I think with this coming, being present in the moment as well, um, which is something that I have struggled a bit in the past and I still do. But for me, the trail, and I think that's not only for me, but for everyone that's going on a tour hike, like it teaches a lot of being present because like most of the times you don't have much to worry about apart from like, what am I going to eat? Where am I sleeping tonight? And sometimes you don't even have an answer for those questions. You're just like literally one step by step. So it's not like you can't plan the next month because you have no idea where you're going to be. So yeah, I think trying to be present uh, in the moment was like definitely one of my, like always trying to catch myself where my thoughts are, you know, am I'm here walking this beautiful trail, but where are my, where is my mind? Where are my thoughts? are? Am I here in this moment where I'm somewhere else? So yeah.
1: Is that what you meant by bring your heart to the shoes or was that about uh... just keeping moving forward? <laughs> I
0: think both. I think the bring your heart to the shoes is more like, um, it's more like if it's hard and if it's, you feel like you don't want to go, um, like your legs are tired. Just put your love, put your heart and like, just go, you know, like just, I don't know how to explain that. Um, maybe if I was on the trail, like after, if we were recording the post guest after a day on the trail, I probably will have better words, but yeah, it's something that, like, you really find when you are, like, in the middle of the trail, like, when you're tired and you're, like, why am I doing this? Um You kind of feel that energy of the trail as well and like, something about it that just, if you look down to your heart, if you feel it, if you feel your love uh, for what you're doing, the reasons why you're doing this, I think, yeah, your shoes and your legs can just, you know, go. It,
1: it absorbs the energy from your heart.
0: That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: Being out there on the trail, doing the trail, what was the most surprising thing you learned about yourself?
0: Mm, I think um, that thing that I mentioned about the social, um, the social thing, I I always thought that I'm not a social person. Like I always thought that I'm a bit more of like an introvert, uh, which I think I still more of an introvert than an extrovert. But I learned that I'm way more social than I thought I was, um, I think. Yeah, that's definitely one of the things that I learned pretty quickly on the trail. Uh, after that, maybe the aspect of enjoying the physical challenge, because I never thought like the um, hiking the trail never was never a physical challenge. I never did for a physical challenge. Like wasn't a reason for me to start the trail. Uh, the, like a true hike, I never thought, oh, I want to, you know, I've been doing like harder stuff before the trail. I did lots of like trail running and mountain biking and cycling, which I had like had plenty of opportunities to test my body. So the hike was never, the TA was never like a physical challenge for me. But during the trail, once you start like pushing a little bit longer and feeling that like this is actually good, I started enjoying that more.
1: How has doing the trail or finishing the trail changed or or affected how you walk in the world off the trail
0: Mm, this is a good question a lot of people told me um like especially before starting the trail like you're gonna finish um the trail a different person for who you are uh, before and i i believe that i i think that's right um but i i can't really like you know when you do is like when you change small like amounts every day on a constant, mm-hmm. uh, you can't actually notice the change. It's ca- kind of like you can't notice your hair growing, but it's growing. Um, and then one day you wake <laughs> up, oh my god, my hair like it's bigger now, right? But it's not like overnight thing. It's I think the aspect of being present and like being mentally resilient with situations like when I come back to the new world, and I think that's something a lot of like true hikers will mention. It's like, you see people that are not true hikers or just like you see um, problems with a different perspective. um, Because we face so like, because of the struggle and the, the things that we face on the trail and that we saw that we get over, like it makes other problems in real life. Like not smaller, but like, we don't. I don't worry too much about some of the problems of real life. Let's say I don't know a job or like a family situation or like some friends. Like I just try to not be response, be too reactive to things and like learn, let things get settled, breathe, take my time, and then maybe give it a one day or two, and then analyze with like a colder, less reactive mind. Um, so maybe more patience. I think being more patient um could be one way to put it and being more patient with myself as well giving allowing myself time I, I was always um um like you know that thing of like you always feel like you have to be doing something you have to be productive you yeah. have to be yeah. you can't just have like free time um
1: yeah i felt so, that a lot during covid
0: <laughs> right yeah exactly <laughs> So maybe it was a mix of the trail and having the COVID lockdown in the middle of the trail that taught me you no, know, it is okay to just chill out, and to just like lie down on a tree and look at a tree and look at the stars and not doing anything. You know, that's that's something we all do, and I think even as a, a human species, uh, like Homo sapiens, the way that we evolved, we did that a lot in the past. You know, we just like in the society that we live in today's. Tells us that, yeah, we need to be active, we need to be using our time wisely, and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, yes, yeah, some sort of it, yes, but also I think having a free time and just like sitting down doing nothing, it's, it is something, it's actually like doing like something, you know?
1: <laughs> it's doing something crucial for yes. your mental health.
0: Totally, totally. And being peaceful with it, I think, is the most important thing, because like sometimes you'd be sitting down and looking and thinking, oh, I should be doing this, you know. And it's not about that. It's about being like, okay, I'm just here, just looking at the stars and doing nothing else and not thinking of anything else.
1: I know that the TA is not known for trail names, but I thought I'd just uh, check in with you and see if you, if you got <laughs> yes. any trail name.
0: Fair enough. Yes, um, I did. Uh, quite early, actually. Uh, Tranquilo. Daniel Tranquilo.
1: What is it?
0: Tranquilo. the From Tranquil, like from Calm, Relaxed. Because it's a Spanish word, like tranquilo. Um, Okay. And, uh, yeah, just because I was always relaxed, too. And then the trail name was given by friends. They were actually from America, um, two of them, um, Emily and Eli. It was a day where I was attacked by a dog, actually, on the trail. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so I was in the timber trail and um, I came to this campsite and I was by myself at the time and I was reading the information sign with like, uh, just to check, you know, like what do you pay for the campsite and whatever. Uh, and that dog just ran out of the bush and jumped on me. Uh, it was like a hunter's dog. He was lost. Um so I kind of I managed to pull his head away, but he still got like a big scratch on my chest with his, um, his left hook, I think. So I got a big scratch on my chest. And then, yeah, it was a bit of like adrenaline moment because, yeah, like I didn't <laughs> yeah, see it yeah, coming sure. at all. So it was a bit scary. But then later on, um, and later on, the uh, the dog people, they came to rescue the dog and blah, blah, blah. And I was pretty chill, I came back there and I tried to like make peace with the dog. He was chill, he was uh, calmer as well. And then my friends were like, Man, you like you just were attacked by a dog and you're just so relaxed, we need to give you a train name and then they say yeah I have to go Kilo." And I'm like, Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Daniel Takanquilo.
1: Very nice. They they sort of uh brought the the spirit of American through hiking over.
0: Yes, yes. It's actually, um, it is actually a thing here, like, um, maybe not as much, like, not all hikers get a trail name. But I think, yeah, most, um, yeah, we try to give trail names to most hikers. Yeah.
1: Okay, I just have to say this, because this is really odd, unless mm. you just typed it in. but Yeah, I did. Okay, because all of a sudden it's like your trail name just flashed up there and I was like, Oh, that's really weird, unless Skype is like channeling you or something.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was funny. Okay. I digress. Yeah. One of the one of the things that you were hiking with or, or affiliated with was was uh, Further, Faster New Zealand. Oh yep, yep. Mm. Now, what was that?
0: They are um outdoor um, gear shop here uh, in Croatia. So they are a local shop. Um, and they, yeah, Father Fast is a local shop in New Zealand. They're quite nice, amazing people. They sell a bunch of, like, good quality uh, outdoors gear. Some of the brands they offer you don't find in other shops in New Zealand. And they were pretty keen to support me and, you know, help me with whatever gear I need for the trail. And they, yeah, it's just the fact that they're local and small, which is like something that I really like to engage with. And yeah, we actually have to do some stuff together. Do like, I, uh, so they're quite interested in the zero-waste aspect of the hike as well. So we're going to arrange, as soon as I come back to South Africa, I'm going to arrange to go there and do like a talk uh, for their customers about zero-waste hiking. And um, yeah, just supporting me and, like, sharing my stories to the um, customers as well. And I tell my friend hikers, look, if you want to get, like, lightweight gear um, uh, or clothes for, like, hiking New Zealand, I think they are definitely uh, the go-to shop.
1: Was that where you went when you were first getting all of your gear? Or is that something that evolved over the trail?
0: No, I got... I got some of my gear in the beginning of the trail with them, because like the tent that I wanted, they were, I think, the only or one of the only shops that had, uh, which is a Dragonfly Nemo, uh, two-person Dragonfly. Um, and then some other stuff, like they only they were the only ones that had as well. Oh, the ultra Running Shoes, which most hikers like to use, and I love them, and um, Surprisingly, now I think more shops in New Zealand have it, but in the beginning, last year, uh, they were only one of the few shops that would have like new models with all the sizes. Yeah. So things like that. Um, so I did know them before the trail, got some gear from them. I had most of my gear because I was like doing lots of hikes and yeah, a lot of mountaineering stuff in New Zealand before the trail, but whatever I needed for the trail, I got with them. And during okay. the trail as well, when I changed my sleeping bag, um, um, I got off then, yeah.
1: Now, what did you ch- why did you change your, change your sleeping bag?
0: I was hiking with a really cheap summer, like, sleeping bag on the North Island. Like, I think it was something like 12 or 15 degrees. Uh, it was just, like, something that I, was my first sleeping bag, I think, uh, which for the North Island was perfectly fine. But in the South Island, I knew I was going to be, like, in higher altitude with possibly cold weather. And I, I, I'd like to do a bit of cowboy camping as well. So if I find a place and I know the weather is good, I just like to, like, lay down my sleeping mat with my sleeping bag, no tent, and just sleep under the stars. So I wanted to have a little warmer uh, sleeping bag for the South Island. And I did have a winter sleeping bag, but was like a proper mountaineering, super hot sleeping bag, so that wasn't going to fit the box either
1: even when you had to come back to trail essentially in winter
0: uh that was a funny actually you asked because i did use my super winter sleeping bag for the first section between wanaka and Queenstown. But then I got to, qu- and yeah, that was way too hot, like way too ah, hot, because it's okay. like minus 17 degrees or something crazy. Um, so I definitely didn't need that. And it's also a down sleeping bag, uh, which I got way like years before going vegan, uh, which not not a problem because I, I didn't buy, I, I wouldn't buy it now. The thing is um, down here in New Zealand, it gets, uh, New Zealand gets a lot of condensation. Uh, so down gets really damp and wet um and you, it doesn't dry, so I just changed again to uh, this sleeping bag I got with um with um further faster for the rest of the tray. and that was fine.
1: What was the bag that you switched to?
0: Uh, it was a Montaigne, uh what's the name oh, I don't know the name but some a Montaigne, um brand Montane. um I don't remember the name he's actually right here next to me because. Believe it or not, I'm still sleeping on my sleeping bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, some mountain prime, uh, yeah, mountain, mountain prize, prize. Yeah.
1: Okay. What was the most challenging aspects of the trail for you?
0: Challenge aspects of the trail. Hmm. I would say definitely Corona.
1: Um yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> having to stop the trail and uh, was you know like having to and I, it's like the co- corona came just when I was super fit, like super on top, like engaged with the trail. I think it was when I was in the best moment of the trail in terms of like pace that I was doing, the planning and everything was just like super right. I also remember, um, that's actually uh, something really interesting because I remember like the question that we get asked the most by, especially no TA hikers is like, when do you want to finish the trail? When are you finished the trail? Or they would even ask, are you making, are you going out the way to bluff? And I would always have a very, um, conservative response. Like I would always say, so if someone asked me, are you going out the way to bluff? I'm like, well... Maybe. I mean, that's the plan, but at the moment, I just know that I'm, you know, like walking the section, so it's section by section. I always have a very conservative answer. Not because I like just trying to be humble, but because that's how I felt. Like, I don't know. Like, anything can happen, right? The same with, like, when do you finish the trail? I don't know. Um, And then when I got to Tekapo, I remember being the Stag Saddle, which is the highest point on the TA. And... I remember being up there looking at Tekapo. I was super fit at the time. I was like really happy with uh, how the trade was going. And for the first time, I thought, well, I actually think, yes, I will make it to Bluff, you know, like what else can, what else can happen now, you know? (laughs) I've been to like some really hard sections. Um, I'm here in Tekapo. I know that like now there might be one or two super hard sections, but nothing like we haven't done. Like most of the river crossings we've done. And guess what? A few days later, Corona. You
1: just uh, had to ask.
0: Exactly. So <laughs> it, it's again it was a way to like you know show you that yeah, there is uh, infinite possibilities. there are infinite possibilities out there so you can't really know what's, what's gonna happen. So that was one aspect of the corona and also like I remember when things were already pretty bad, most part of the world. I was, so I did that long day from Tekapo to Ohau, uh, the mm-hmm. 82 kilometers day and got to Ohau. And that's when things are starting to like look a little bit tricky. Uh, New Zealand started to getting, um, get more cases in. And then I, what did I do? I, I came back to Tweezel to resupply, stayed one rest day and then got back on the trail. Now that was like, feels like, looking back now, it felt like the universe was trying to tell me something. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a hit from wizel to, so you front-wizel to how you go on the main highway, and then you have to like do a turn on a like gravel road. So because I have already walked that section, I was obviously not going to walk it again. So I hit from wizel to the road, and then I'm there on the road trying to hit the first car that stops. I go in the car, it was a um, traveler, and he go- And by that time, New Zealand already closed the borders to external travelers. Um, only New Zealanders could come back home. I got a ride with a guy, and he just arrived in the country like three days ago. And I was like, fuck, you know, like, I knew, <laughs> we know that Corona is coming with people from yeah. overseas. I'm like, oh my God. Okay. And then that was like a 20 minutes drive. And then I dropped off the car. I didn't obviously shake his hand. And I tried to like be like, "Looks, sorry, we don't. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. And, and then uh, I had to get another ride to get to Ohio. And then I'm there on this gravel road trying to hitch, And then a car stops. is a local. And guess what? She's a nurse. She walks in the hospital and she even tells me that they did like a few uh, Corona tests that day. I'm like, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, and at the moment, there was not really like something that was trying, like was telling us that we need to stop the train. You know, New Zealand is still didn't have any uh, like reinforcements in terms of like, oh, you can't hike or whatever. It was just things were still kind of normal. I think they just started doing like social distancing, but everything was too open. So I got to O'Hara. We spent all night. There was another couple there, uh, TA hikers as well. And then next day, they started earlier than me going through um, the next section. I started maybe an hour later and I was coming up. I was already worried with things in Brazil as well. There was a lot of uncertainty. We didn't know like how strong the virus was. We only heard that was like really dangerous and killing a lot of people and I don't know, like, um, I think we still, like, with that fear, uh, feel, uh, like, quite strong. And then those hikers, they came back and they walked past me and they told me, look, we can't walk, Uh, our head is not in the right space, we are just not happy with this corona thing, our family's back, they're from Belgium, so they're like, no, our family's back in Belgium, we don't know what's happening, so we're going to stop the train now and think what we're going to do. And that was like a big, kind of like not a shock, but like that just brings up like, should I do the same? Should I not do the same? Should I keep walking? What should I do? I was by myself at the time. So I tried to keep walking, trying like and talking on WhatsApp with my family back in Brazil and I wasn't like, do I have to go to Brazil? Should I stay here? I don't know what to do. So that was, like, probably the most challenging, especially, like, mentally day for me because I was really, like, I could feel I was stressed about it. Yeah, so I actually didn't walk um, the distance that I planned for that day. I ended up staying camping just above Lake Ohio on a place where I still had mobile coverage. So I kept talking to my mom, to my sister, and at the end, like, they calmed me down. They said, look, there's nothing you can do. Even if you get, like, a super expensive, crazy flight to Brazil now, you're going to get here. You're going to have to be in quarantine. You might be carrying the virus. You might catch the virus on the plane, which is not going to be any help. So, yeah, just stay there. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. So it took me a little while, but eventually I came back, like, in peace with my mind and with me that, yeah, I can keep walking. So I kept walking uh, the next section between Ohio and uh, Wanaka, which is actually a beautiful, stunning section. I would love to come back and do that section again. And I got to Wanaka. And then the day I arrived in Wanaka, the lockdown in New Zealand was announced. So that's when I actually had to stop the trail. Um, so, yeah, I guess stopping the trail, you know, for we didn't know how long it was going to take. We didn't know. There was not much information about the virus at that time. Um, but yeah, that was definitely the most challenging aspect of the trail for me.
1: Was there ever a time after having stopped the trail where you seriously contemplated not finishing in that season? Mm. Or would it all depend on when things would open back up again?
0: Yeah. I always had in mind that I'll do the trail, I'll finish the trail regardless if it's winter or not. Like. Okay. I knew I could um, finish the trail in winter. Like I have alpine experience, I could like even if I had to carry like crampons on ice axe, I would do it. The thing was just like there was one moment. So initially, the lockdown uh, was announced in New Zealand for four weeks, mm-hmm. and then uh, so New Zealand government created um, a let alert level system, which is goes from one to four. So lockdown, fully lockdown, was alert level four. And then they announced, and then in four weeks, they announced that we would stay, I think, another two weeks in level four. And then we came down to level three, which is not very different, actually. Pretty much the same, still, like, stay at home. And then when the conversations about level two started, uh, some people say that you would, we wouldn't still be able to go to the huts and we wouldn't be able to hike like backcountry trails. The Government would still not allow that for level two, and even level one. So those are just rumors. There was nothing like official information, but people are like now nah, we think um, level one is still the huts are still going to be closed and blah blah blah. So that was the time they're all like, wow, if this is true, then yeah, I'll be like pretty much like done for the season because uh, we knew that level one was never going away. Like we are still in level one now. So, yeah. um, so, but then soon the government started releasing more information and they say, no, level two, the huts will be open. People will be able to go and hike and blah, blah, blah. So that was like a big relief for everyone. Um, but until they formally announced there was still a bit like uncertainty around it. So I remember the day that, um, they had a press conference to announce like me and now the other TA hikers were like really anxious and watching prime minister on the like internet what she's gonna say and blah 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 and like information coming up and everyone trying to find information was was a bit of like uh, adrenaline <laughs>
1: <laughs> i i can imagine you guys all kind of sitting there on pins and needles okay is she gonna say something is it gonna go in our favor is it not gonna go in our favor yes
0: exactly yes <laughs> Yeah.
1: What is one of your most favorite times, moments, experiences on trail?
0: Mm, yeah. I think um Northland uh, between Cape Ring and Auckland, or yeah, the North section was really um like People, like, really around people, you know, when they say, like, oh, the the true hike is about the people, it's about the people. I think especially Northland, meeting the locals and having some amazing, like, trail angels experience um, in Northland was really, like, amazing to show, like, how much good people, how many good people are in this world, you know, like people just willing to do good for others in exchange for nothing, you know, just because they want to. Like unconditional love. So that was really humbling uh, for me in Northland. Um, There was this specific day uh, where we started from Paihia and that we did a kayaking section um, from Paihia to uh, Russell Forest. So this part of the trail most hikers choose to do by kayak or you can just road walk. But obviously the kayak is quite nice to do. And we did yeah. that with sunrise and it was beautiful, beautiful day. Uh, and then you finish the kayak by like 11, 12. And then we go inside this, uh, Russell forest, which is amazing. Beautiful forest. You walk to a river, um, like native bush. Amazing. And then we finish the walk. We stay in the trail angel house and like, uh, she wasn't even at home. She left the house open with the keys um there for us. We were a group of nine. She left this beautiful, like, she left like a message, like in a page handwritten by her to us, explaining everything about the house. Uh Like, and it was her house, you know, her home. And she opened for us without being there and trust us to stay there, which for me was like, what? Like, how come? You know, nine people, we are nine. <laughs> And, uh, How did was, you
1: c- connect yeah. with her?
0: Oh, there's a Facebook group like the, uh, the Roa Trail Angels. Um, and on the Trail Notes and on the Hook app as well, people leave comments about, oh, there's a trail angel on this place, call her in advance. Or, so we knew about her since like a few days before. So when we were in Pahia, we texted her and say, Oh, we a group of nine, we're gonna be there in this day. Um, can we stay? And she was like, Yeah, fine, just come. And then on the day, I think she texted us saying she wasn't she had to drive her kids um somewhere and she wouldn't be home. But she said, Yeah, the door will be open, you guys make yourselves home. And yeah, it was amazing, like fresh towels, everyone can use towels, anyone can use like soap and she's got everything and um Yeah, beer in the fridge, you can buy, you buy like $2 beers on the fridge, leave like on an honest box. So that was like, and that was our first trail angel on the trail. And that was like, just like, wow, like what a perfect way to finish the trail. And yeah, it was because at at that point, trail angels were something new for me. Like I haven't, I didn't even know what they kind of were, you know.
1: Yeah. Do you remember what her first name was?
0: Oh, I can probably check. I have written somewhere, uh, but I don't remember now.
1: Okay. I was just gonna say we could do a little shout out for her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, no, I won't remember. I'm so I'm terrible with names.
1: No worries. No worries.
0: Um but also oh so just coming back to that, um sorry if I'm being too long. Um no in the Richmond ranges as well. So talking about like special days on the trail. Where I felt like great moments when we were in the Richmond Ranges and I was, um, I started hiking with this group of hikers and we all kind of got of this momentum of trying to push a little bit faster, not on a competitive way, but everyone was like, okay, let's try to get this hut today. And it was like, it would be a long day. And most people, because in the Richmond Ranges, you have one hut pretty much every like, five kilometers, um, sort wow. of, maybe a little bit more, like some sections, are every like 10, 12 kilometers, but there's plenty of huts, but like five kilometers in the Richmond range can take like two hours or even more. You oh, know? okay. Cause it's like a up. it's, it's the Richmond range is well known for being the hardest section on the trail in terms of uphills and downhills and like g- difficult terrain, a lot of rocks, like, unform the trails, And that's when we started pushing some really long days with like beautiful weather. Uh, we knew there was a storm coming in a few days as well. So like we want to be out before that storm. And um, so yeah, we got this group. I think it we're like five of us, six of us. And we just started pushing like some crazy long days. And it was really nice. I remember one day we did from like, um, I think it was mid-Wairoa hut all the way to I can't remember the name of that other hut but it was a long day we skipped like three huts I think and we got to the last hut just like by sunset and it was amazing sunset and that day I remember feeling like really good about both the physical challenge and like you know just pushing those long days was yeah quite special
1: you loved you found a love of pushing yourself I guess
0: a little bit yeah (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. Um, it's funny because like people are like, when they see like, especially when I was like hiking like fast and like long distance, people say, Oh, but you must be like, you're going to finish the trail soon. But I actually like took one of the like less to finish the trail because yeah, I would push long and walk fast long days, but then I would stop and take like three, four days in a towel and or like stay in a hut for three days and yeah.
1: You'd, you'd be fast and then you take your time
0: yeah yeah exactly
1: <laughs> is there anything that we haven't talked about that we should
0: um, I don't know no not that I can remember you feel free to if you have any other questions okay
1: uh, where should where can people or where should people find you to follow your continued adventures and/ or if they have questions about the tree planting or zero waste or Further, faster?
0: Um, I guess my Instagram or Facebook. Instagram always seems to be the place where everyone is nowadays. So, yeah, it's uh, nogueira which is my surname. But, um, yeah, that's where I am. Um, that's your best
1: place?
0: I think so, yeah. Or okay. Facebook, I guess, yeah.
1: So, I do have one last question for you. Ooh. And this one is for uh mystery creek and there's this beautiful picture of you taking a rain shower
0: oh yeah yeah uh mystery creek yeah so that was on the timber trail that was a good day (laughs) that was a great (laughs) day (laughs) or as i used to say on the trail a great day to be alive um yep so, remember the story for the dog, um, about yeah. the dog. So, the dog was two days before this day on Mystery Creek. So, I had the dog bite, um, not bite like a dog attack. So, that was like a bit of a rush of adrenaline. Uh, what also happened on the that day before... I, we woke up, uh, on this campsite and it was going to be a long day. It was really hot and mostly like gravel road walking. And then we walked, uh, I walked through uh, like about 6K and then, or like, yeah, it was more, a little bit more, it was like 7K. And then we get to this road and then there is either the option to keep on the trail and that would be like a 25 kilometers. I think 25 kilometers road walk on a gravel road, which wasn't too bad. It was like really remote, close next to a river, but there is no bailout option. Uh, the thing is, I was feeling a bit sick on that day. I was feeling like my stomach. I was feeling something weird. Like my energy levels were really low. I felt like the food that I ate for breakfast. I was just not like getting the energy out of it for some reason. And it was really hot. And I'm like, man, if I if I start walking on this train now and I get sick, like for real, uh, it's gonna be of a bit of a struggle. My friends were already ahead. I wasn't like I couldn't walk fast to catch up with them, uh, so I decided to bail to the main road, to the highway, and hitch to a little town and just like I don't know, drink something. So I got to this little town, which I don't even remember the name. Uh, drank um, like cranberry juice from one of those really cheap brands and I remember like being really thirsty and like maybe it was because something on my stomach and whatever so I drank a whole liter of this juice which was the worst thing I could do because very like I don't know like acid chemical stuff you know and then next day, and then this this same day I got to the campsite, and that's when the dog the dog attack happened. So next day I woke up and my stomach was really bad. We walked through the first hut, it was an easy day, flat. Like on the flat I could walk, but I feel like I was feeling like going up hills, my energy levels were just not right. Um, so we got to this hut. Um, Bog in hut, which is quite unique, like old school type of hut. And then my friends, the same friends that um, gave me my train name, um, Emily and Eli, I was telling them about my stomach and they're like, oh, maybe you got like um heat burn, you know, maybe there's something acid on your stomach. So they gave me those, um, I don't remember the name of those pills that like it's good for stomach to burn, like heat burn. Uh, so they gave me some of them. And then I took, that was the following morning, I took them and they started walking. I was really, that was like, so the day of the shower, I was really sick in the morning. I started walking really slow, but then slowly the thing, the pills that I took uh, started making, I, I started feeling bad. I started like my energy, my stomach was like finally like sort of working and I was getting energy. So I just kept walking. Then we got halfway point. I met with them and again, and we were having a pizza at the lodge. They decided to stay there. And then I still had energy. It was still lots of daylight. And I'm like, man, I'm feeling good. I think I will make the most of it. And two of other my friends were already gone, and I wanted to catch up with them. So I kept walking. And then another maybe 15k, I was like, my body was just back to normal, I was feeling great. But then this massive storm coming with like thunder and lightning. And I'm like, oh, my God, uh, on, the, <laughs> on the timber trail, we don't have huts. So you either camp or oh yeah, mostly camp. But then you have these little shelters, which on that photo you see, um, the photo with the shower, you can see. I think the last photo on the, that sequence is me sitting in the front of the shelter. It's a tiny little, it's like a bus stop. Uh, so I knew there was one, uh, at this point and I just kept walking fast, fast, got to this shelter. And then as soon as I got, as I got in, the rain started and yeah, I just felt great. I'm like, man, when was the last time I had a rain shower in my life? I can't even remember. And yeah, I just, you know, clothes off and let's have a rain shower. It's perfect <laughs> actually. Like lots of water. So like. I could use like, I, I always care like a biodegradable, um, like coconut lemongrass soap and, um, homemade kind of thing. And just like, yeah, it was like full shower in the rain. The rain was warm. And then, yeah, I got inside the shelter, inside my sleeping bag and it was like a perfect night.
1: It sounds like it was not only a rain shower. It was sort of a cleansing of all of the bad juju.
0: <laughs> yes. That's how it felt like the rain just like washing away everything that was like either like the dog attack vibes and like you know that kind of fear and bad adrenaline that was in my body with everything out you know like next day i felt fresh i did another long day catch up with my friends so yeah it was it was great it's definitely high up there on my favorite days on the trail
1: notes and links for daniel's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com special thanks to daniel for sharing his stories from the trail and maya win for the use of the song try again i hope that this conversation these conversations inspire you to get out there and create a few hiker trash stories of your own i'll see you on the trail